Tell us who we are and to whom we belong so that we may live with gratitude for all you have done. Amen. It is a somewhat strange thing, Trinity Sunday. God as three in one is a doctrine of the church, a way that we, the church through history, have done our best to express the fullness of God in our limited understanding. A summary, so to speak, of the witness of scripture to God's unfathomable love incarnate and Jesus Christ and experienced in the celebra- and celebrated in the community of faith. So, do we preach a doctrine? Well, no. But, yeah. <laughs> because really every Sunday is Trinity Sunday. We are always reaching out to a greater and deeper understanding of the mystery of God. And as we do that, we cannot help but bump into the Holy Spirit, into Jesus, into God, the Father, the Mother of us all. So for this particular Trinity Sunday, the church gives us this reading from Paul to the new church in Rome. Now, Paul may have not intended to develop a theology of the Trinity, but throughout the book of Romans, he speaks about having peace with God, being united with Christ, and living according to the Spirit. So all of these expressions of God were already moving, and these first Christ followers were learning how to relate to all three as one. And we, when we look at this passage specifically, it's easy to see why the church selects it for this Sunday. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Kind of sums it up. All right then. Well, I guess that's it. Someone get the kids. Let's go have some lemonade. <laughs> Kidding aside, it's actually really helpful to talk about the Trinity because we have so much we can learn from a God that is three in one. One of the most basic and I think beautiful things of our understanding of God is that fundamentally God is community. God is not God outside of relationship. God in God's very own imminent eternal being is an activity of self-giving community sharing. God is a society of love. Trinitarian doctrine describes God as self-sharing, other-regarding, community-forming love. First John reminds us that God is love, and it's not just that God loves. It is that God is inherently love through the loving relationships that God consists of. And because God gives us an example of mutuality in relationship, it shows us love that is united but not smothering, that maintains unity and diversity at the same time. God shows us love that is co-equal rather than hierarchical, that allows the other to be fully other. The Trinity gives us a model for how we are to build our relationship as those who are made in God's image. Now, if we were to turn back to our specific passage, we learn even more about God and our relationship with God. 
It is a short but packed full little bit of scripture starting with a therefore, which kind of propels us back a little bit before we can move forward. So Paul has just reminded his listeners that through resurrection, Jesus broke the chain of death that began with Adam, the chain of death which is separation from God. He urges that those who have come to know and follow Jesus are to live according to a new chain of life, not groping for self-satisfaction, but assured of God's presence. Therefore, he writes, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. Now let's pause here. Justification is a judicial term. It means free from the charge of being guilty. So in this case, Paul says that we are free by our faith. That is, we are at peace with God through Jesus. And he goes on to say that it is from Jesus we have access to this grace in which we stand. Now oftentimes we read this and think or have been taught that it is our faith in Jesus that justifies us, that sets us free. But I want to open something up here there is this funny little preposition in Greek that changes this understanding. Ek. It means out of. This sneaky little proposition pops up in Romans 3.26, which is often translated, God justifies one who has faith in Jesus. But that just isn't quite right. Because that little ek implies causality. Ah, grammar lesson. Let me explain. It shifts where the responsibility lies. So instead of God justifies one who has faith in Jesus, the Greek reads, one is justified to God through Jesus' faith. This actually is in keeping with Paul's understanding as he later in Romans 5.19 states, by one man's obedience, all are made righteous. Okay, Ingrid, why does this matter? Aren't you just talking semantics? Are you just showing off your Greek skills? No. It matters because it speaks to where our reconciliation to God is initiated. This is not about our salvation by way of us accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, though we do and though he is. It is that our entering into right relationship with God is the consequence of Jesus' faithful obedience in his life, death, and resurrection. So when we hear, since we are justified by faith, faith we have peace, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to the grace in which we stand, we can hear through Jesus and Jesus' faithful obedience, we are reconciled to God and have access to God's free gift of grace. God initiates the action. Our justification by faith is not through acceptance of or faith in Jesus, but it is in our active response to Jesus' faithfulness in our living out of God's way. So then Paul takes this sharp turn into suffering. The scripture reads, we also boast in our sufferings, which may sound a bit strange. 
to hold one's head high in hard times. Remember now, Paul is writing to Romans who are steeped in an honor-shame culture. Public shame was to be avoided at all costs. In that worldview, one would never boast in their sufferings because suffering was a sure sign of God's displeasure. And like most things related to the teachings of that Jesus, he takes the cultural norm and flips it on its head. Rather than being deterred by its oppression, suffering, affliction, the church is to stand up, shoulders back, head high. For Paul, suffering was an opportunity to double down on the newly understood relationship between God and humanity. Jesus opened up the flow so that we can have love and peace with God through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So stand tall, he says, to those folks shirking in their shame, in their fear. Stand tall, Paul says, to us in our shame and in our fear. Give thanks. Give thanks for you are winning where it really matters. You are reconciled to God. To give thanks for and not be ashamed of our hard times, of our failures, seems like a pretty big stretch. For those ancient people Paul was writing to and to us, we work really hard to make ourselves look just so good on the outside. Our Facebook pictures of happy family vacations, our manicured lawns and well-painted fences, our put-together outfits and our hair just so. Paul encourages us to get real. And this isn't just about getting real with God and ourselves. It actually has some pretty practical consequences in the day-to-day. -day. In practice, getting real and getting real in public deflates our suffering. Bad things happen. We live in a broken world, but when we are able to give thanks in the mess, we are able to catch a glimpse of grace, a glimpse of God in the midst of that mess. Now, Paul carries on to say that suffering builds endurance, which produces character, which leads to hope, and hope is of God, so suffering brings us to God, which I get. For many of us, myself included, pain was the gateway to faith through which we walked and a stairwell to deeper and deeper relationship with God. But let's be careful and clear here. I do not believe in, and Paul is arguing against the notion that God is the cause of our suffering. Remember, that was common in these times, and it is a line of thinking still amuck around us. If you're suffering, you've done something that has made God mad. Think of Job. But our scriptural witness, Jesus on the cross, and our lived experience tells us that God is in the midst of, not the cause of, our suffering. Paul is pointing to the gifts of God that are present in their suffering to dispel this notion of God as punitive. So God, understood as a community of persons, the Trinity, 
assures us that we can love and be loved under exceptionally challenging circumstances. And also, ordinary grocery shopping, bill paying, lawn mowing circumstances. God does not reserve our spiritual transformation to the afterworld. It's a process we're in right now, in the grueling and in the gorgeous. Not because of something we have done or not done, but because of something God has done and is still doing. And because this threefold one God is at work in us and in the world right now, everything. Everything is dripping with holiness. It gets all over us, and we track it wherever we go. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity has at times been used as a tool of sureness, rightness. After all, we humans love a sure thing. We like to get things right. But of course we cannot. We do our best with bananas and hard-boiled eggs and long-argued church documents. It is a statement, a concept that tries to communicate or express the character of God as love in relational self-giving action. This is not an end-all theology. Trinitarian doctrine is an invitation for us to recognize that we abide in the holy at all times and points us toward the great mystery that is God. A God that is as broad and deep as the whole cosmos. A God that is as particular as Jesus. A God that is as invested in us as the Holy Spirit. Amen.